Nether Words Read for you by Charles Logan Night Train to Paris by David Gerald Part 3 His expression darkened as if he were looking at something inside himself. Finally, he whispered, I have seen it myself. He looked across at me and his eyes were troubled. Signore, it is real. I have seen it. You have? In the morning you will think on this. In daylight you will decide I am, how do you say, shocko, foolish. But I am not. You don't have to believe me. But I believe me. Because I have seen it and I know what I have seen. He pointed at my camera. If I had La Mac in the Photographica like you, I would have pictures. Then you would believe. I should have known better. I said, pictures can be faked. He shook his head. Point your camera out the window. With your own eyes. With your own machina. Maybe you will see for yourself. It's too dark, I said. I won't get anything but blackness. He looked skeptical. You have a machina that big, that expensive, and it doesn't see in the dark? Cameras need light to work. La luz. No, that was Spanish. La luce. To prove the point, I set the camera for burst mode and popped off the lens cap. I set the exposure for auto and pointed it out the window. I ran off a string of shots, one after another. The camera clattered. I unfolded the screen on the back, held the camera out for him to look. He peered closely. Nothing. See? Try again, signore. Another rattle of frames. A third. A fourth black frames. Claudio sat back in his seat, convinced. You need a better camera. Two thousand dollars, and I need a better camera. I didn't reply. For a while, we just sat and looked at each other. The train clattered and rocked and bumped, more than I thought any train should, but Claudio did not look alarmed at the bouncing. Finally, he said, But I know what I saw with my eyes. He pointed toward the window. There is something out there. It hunts the train every night. Sometimes it catches something. Sometimes it does not. I can't say what it is. I don't know. But I have seen it. It is out there. It is. The controllori know it too. That is why they stay up all night, huddled together in their own compartment. I shrugged. All right. You... Believe me. I see that you believe it. If, as you say, people go missing... They do. He nodded sadly. Then yes, there is reason to fear. And as I said it, I felt my own unease finally solidifying in my chest. What had been someone else's anxious delusion had suddenly become my own concern as well. The hollow queasiness of fear is a visceral acknowledgement of the moment, and my own dilemma had suddenly crystallized. Either this man was telling the truth and I was riding a very dangerous train, or this man was delusional 
and I was in a much more personal danger. I wanted to get up, get out of the cabin, stroll up and down the narrow corridor of the car, anything to escape this moment. Maybe there was a service car with an all-night bar, but if I left this cabin, I would be alone. And if I went alone, plodding down the narrow corridors of all the cars, past all the darkened cabins, would I be putting myself in even greater danger? And if I tried to leave, then Claudio would be alone. Would he panic? Would he refuse to let me leave? Would he get violent just to keep me with him? Maybe, if I pretended I wanted to take some more pictures, I could stand in the corridor outside the compartment and fiddle with the exposure and aperture and shutter speed and occasionally rattle off a few frames. I could say that I was trying to validate his story. I'd still be in his sight, but at a safe remove. I stood. I slid open the compartment door. I'll try some more pictures, I said. Keep the door open and watch. Signore, please! I'll be right here, I said. You can watch me. But you will not be able to watch me. It'll be all right, I'm sure. I stepped into the corridor. He stood up and held the compartment door open, waiting like a nervous nanny. I didn't like him standing so close behind me. I considered moving down the corridor away from him, but his anxiety was palpable. I didn't dare add to it. I allowed myself a half-step leftward, just so I could have an unobstructed view out the window. The train clunkered on, and I braced myself against the inner wall of the passage. I fiddled with the auto HDR and dynamic range optimization. I pushed the exposure up. I forced the ISO all the way up to where it was nothing more than raw noise. I took streams of burst mode exposures, followed by careful single shots, and then long exposures too. There was no point in using the flash. The glass of the window would reflect back and dazzle. But I spun off another series of shots anyway. I didn't even bother looking. With the flash, they'd come out glaring. Without the flash, everything would be black. Or perhaps I'd pick up my own dim reflection in the window pane. After half an hour, maybe more, I'd exposed a couple hundred frames. There was nothing more I could think of to do. I was starting to get bored. Whatever anxiety I'd felt in the compartment, it had faded. Now my concern was my camera again. I didn't want to drain the battery, I wouldn't be able to recharge it until I got to my hotel, and I liked to leave room on the memory card too. So I returned to the cabin. It does not always come, Claudio said. Maybe tonight it sleeps. I nodded. I wished I could sleep. But now I knew I wouldn't, no matter what. Claudio offered me the wine bottle again, but I waved it off. It is like a great white bird, he said. What is? Then I realized. Oh. But instead of wings like a bird, it has long bony arms with flags attached. It trails flowing ribbons of ghostly light like ragged banners and it runs alongside the train on high bony legs like stilts it takes great long steps so it looks like it runs slowly alongside as it passes it arches its head low to peer into the windows of the train, one 
after the other as if it is looking for just the right one. It has a stabbing beak, Signore, all stretched out in front with many teeth and dark hollows instead of eyes, like a great white skull. It floats through the night as if the train is motionless and it is the only thing moving and it screeches like the wheels of the carriage as the train goes around a curve. You saw all this? Si, signore, and worse. I saw it stab into the train and pull a poor man out, right through the side, as if it weren't there. The man struggled and cried, but the monstro just tilted its head back and snapped and gulped and he was gone. Claudio's face was pale. It could have been me, mio Dio. He put his face into his hands, sobbing. That poor man. It is my fault. I thought we were safe. We talked all night. We talked for hours. I told him we were safe. I was wrong. May God forgive me. He wept uncontrollably for a long time. I didn't know if it was fear or grief or some anguished mixture of both. Whatever horrors were churning in this man... They had been seething there for a long time. And to be honest, I found it disconcerting. I am not the kind of person who hugs others with the comforting reassurance of there, there, it'll be alright, because the evidence of the universe is that it is not going to be alright. It's only going to get worse. The best you can do is endure it. So I let him weep without interfering. Whatever he'd seen, whatever had happened, it was his personal nightmare. There was nothing I could say or do that would alleviate his pain. The most I could do was sit and be with him so that he would know he was not alone. That's usually enough. It should be enough. For most people, anyway. But even after he stopped weeping, he stayed with his head in his hands for the longest time, as if he was afraid to look up at me, as if he did not know what to do next, as if he were fighting within himself. I sat and waited. My camera was still in my hands. I made a show of fiddling with it, reviewing all the frames of black, something to do so that he would not think I was just sitting and judging him. At last, Claudio looked up, all red-faced and puffy-eyed. Signore, forgive me. You don't have to apologize. There's nothing to forgive. He shook his head. No, no. I have taken advantage of your good nature. I have imposed myself on you. You did not invite me to intrude, but I have invaded your privacy. And I have let my terror overwhelm me. I have demanded too much from you. I shook my head. It's all right, Claudio. The way I see it, if human beings cannot be there for each other, then we are the real monsters. I chose my next words carefully. 
all you've been through. It must take real strength for you to ride this train night after night, week after week. He nodded. He pulled out a dirty red handkerchief and wiped his forehead, his mouth, his nose. See, see, sometimes it does get to me. He looked across the tiny compartment. Both of us were swaying with the rocking motion of the carriage. You are a kind man. At first I thought you would be like all the others. Most people, I tell them what I have seen, they do not want to hear. They tell me to leave them alone or let them sleep. They tell me I am crazy. But, signore, you did me a kindness. You listened to my story. I am sorry for scaring you so badly. I'm not, I started to say, then realized it would have been a lie. It's a very disturbing story, yes. He sighed, he sagged, the air came out of him like a deflating balloon, and he looked around as if seeing the cabin for the first time. I think it is safe now, he said. If you want to sleep, I will stop talking. Yes, I am getting tired, I admitted. Claudio helped me pull the back of the seat down to make a bunk, and I climbed into it gratefully. The train rattled and bumped, rocking me fitfully. I assumed we were somewhere in the middle of France by now. I dozed uncomfortably, never fully asleep, never really awake either. But I must have slept some because I awakened to see bright sunlight streaming in through the window of the train. I rolled onto my side to see if Claudio was awake. But he was gone, and I was alone in the compartment. For some reason I was not alarmed. Perhaps I should have been, but maybe he had gone to the service car. I made my way to the lavatory at the end of the car and emptied my bladder, returned to the compartment, pushed the seat back into place, and settled myself to wait for our arrival at the Gare du Lyon. According to my watch, we were still 40 minutes out. I powered up the camera and began working my way through several hundred blank exposures, examining and deleting each one in turn. Most of them were blank. The ones that had been taken with the flash were a blur of overexposed glare. Except for one, aimed out through the window. There was nothing visible beyond the glass. But the pane showed a dark reflection of me peering through the viewfinder of my camera. And something darker looming behind me that should have been Claudio, but wasn't. The end.